Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are live on the Charity Stripe Podcast with your hosts, Alex, Josh, and Nick. One. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Howard David Live. We welcome in Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Uh, who are you more surprised that they are here at this stage of the playoffs? Uh, the Knicks, the Heat, the Lakers. Nobody's giving Denver any credit at all, right? Yeah, I think, you know, Howard, once again, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Um, I think it's a you, you could probably have to slice that up and take some shares. You know, one slice would go to Denver because I think, you know, listen, they're the number one overall seed in the West, but people don't really believe in them. I think definitely Miami, nobody predicted that they would defeat uh, the Miami, Heat, uh, excuse me, Milwaukee Bucks, even when they were up 3-1. And then, of course, the way the Knicks handled Cleveland uh, with a gentleman sweep. Uh, so I think, those teams right there could really get a share of surprises thus far that they're in the second round. Is this good for the league a bit? I think it's great. I think it's great when you have, I won't say parity, but I think it's very, very good when you have um, a situation where it's wide open in New York, uh, in, in the West, and then you have New York, LA, your major media markets uh, having teams that are relevant this late in the season. I think that uh, it, makes, it makes a lot of sense, and it's great for the game. I'm sure you felt the same way I did before the Philadelphia-Boston series when you found that Embiid was not playing. I mean, there wasn't anybody on the planet with any sense at all that said that the Celtics wouldn't win in a walk. But, man, you talk about beating yourself. And the Celtics did it in so many ways. But let's give James Harden a lot of credit. You dropped 45 points on anybody. Uh, you know, let's face it. Harden's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. But... Uh, the sloppiness with the Celtics, particularly down the stretch, was was. Um, I mean, you you heard Missoula, the uh, the coach. He was f- he was foaming at the mouth. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of things that really come into play. You know, the biggest question is the deeper we go in these playoffs, it's really going to call into question. You know, seeing Joe Missoula, how he's going to handle certain situations, because you know, on one side is that look, he took over a team that was essentially a veteran-laden team that been there, done that. So they kind of know what to do during the course of the regular season. And then you know that there's going to be points and times, and I've said it several times, that there's going to be points and times in these playoffs that it's going to come down to coaching. And, I mean, look at Eric Spostra and the job he's done against uh, with the Milwaukee series and as well as the Knicks series. You know, in terms of how Missoula will handle certain situations, especially when this team, the Celtics, that is, that looks kind of like they get kind of laxed and kind of let their guard down. And we saw that when that Atlanta Hawks series where um, they allowed them to extend the series, especially on their home court. So this is the second time we've witnessed this by this Boston Celtics team. And I think it's just really the question of how Missoula will go about motivating these guys and continuing to have them stay locked in to take care of business. Look, I'm not going to go criticize coaches because it's too easy to do that. Right. But at the end of the game last night, when the Celtics had the lead and James Harden's coming down and it's just one-on-one with Horford, why wouldn't the Celtics double-team him? 
I mean, it's the same way I felt uh, in the Atlanta series when Trey Young is standing out there. Why not double the guy? I, I was, and I asked my old partner, Cedric Maxwell, about that. He goes, no, nah. so they had Marcus Smart defending him. And I, Max, how did it work out? And so, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're a bottom line society and I, I'm watching James Harden and I know it's going up. There's no doubt about it. But why not double them? Yeah, it's going to be a lot of questions that um, are going to be sort of in a sense as hindsight as 2020, you know, maybe looking at a lot of the things that perhaps maybe felt the Horford and smart to it. But uh, I think it's really going to come down to we know the Celtics have the experience and the talent to sort of overcome the 76ers. But now losing game one, I think this puts them in a very, very pivotal situation. It's like now we know this series is going to go five. You know, if they happen to lose another game here, it's going to further extend it, especially if Joel Embiid uh, is able to come back at some point and be some semblance to, you know, what he's been as dominant. So it takes on another life with itself. And then let's give some credit to James Harden. How how long has he been maligned with his sort of playoff performances and and just really, really coming up short and having to deal with injuries? So many things that finally... He gets an opportunity on the center stage to take control and showcase his talents and stuff like that to allow people and possibly other teams to let them know that, hey, I'm still a viable option for an offense. I still have it. And it just went that way for him in game one. He's Gerald Brown, the sartorially splendid co-host of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. You didn't think I knew that word, sartorially. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into the Knicks and the heat uh game one look it's at madison square garden the place is hysterical there's everybody jumping up and down yeah we're going all the way to the finals and you know how nick fans are and so the heat thanks to jimmy butler and even after he got hurt he served as a perfect decoy uh for the heat where other people stepped up and look they're not a great three-point shooting team anyway and without tyler hero they're not even that good but that was a heck of a win for Miami uh, as they, uh, you know, they play game two tonight at Madison Square Garden. But even if they lose, they're going home even. Yeah, I think this is, I agree with you, Howard. I think that is two things that I took away from that game one. Number one, um, you're right about Jimmy Butler continuing to do a lot of the little things and really help his team. But also give credit and kudos to Eric Spolstra. I mean, some of the adjustments or lack thereof by Tom Thibodeau, as well as in that first series against Mike Boonhoser in the Milwaukee Bucks. Eric Spolstra continues to showcase exactly when it comes to playoffs, it's certain little subtle moves or things that they do and adjustments they will make. But I think this is a must win for the New York Knicks because the last thing they want to do is go down 0-2 and going on the road and you know, it will be a very, very difficult challenge if they get down big this game or let alone their struggle. That fan base that was cheering for them, jumping for joy, will boo them uh, significantly. And that's where a lot of these young players, I wonder if they will have the mental fortitude to sustain that and, and, and handle that. You know, guys like R.J. Barrett, you know, Jalen Brunson has never been in a situation. I mean, it's, it's, it's great when everything goes well for you in New York. And you could attest this, how it is knowing that when things don't go right for certain players, it is very, very vicious. And again, 
mentally, it can be a challenge for them. So this is a must win for them. And, you know, a lot of people saying, yeah, they need J Julius Randle back. I believe that. But I think Julius Randle gives them another scoring option. He's not that guy that you could really say, OK, we're going to put the ball in his hands down the stretch. But I think he really takes a lot of the scoring load somewhat off of Jalen Brunson. And now it's kind of evenly distributed between R.J. Barrett, Jason Hart, uh, Josh Hart as well, um, some of these guys. So it's a very pivotal game for game two for the Knicks. Let me, uh, uh, I don't know if you heard this, but yesterday, late yesterday, I heard that uh, uh, there's a question mark about Julius Randle. Uh, there's a question mark now about Jalen Brunson. Uh, he's dealing with some injuries as well. He Look, he missed 10 of his last 14 games of the regular season with foot and hand injuries. Uh, I mean, if they don't have both of those guys, let, let's be real. They're in trouble because Jalen Brunson, in my opinion, is the best free agent signing the New York franchise has ever made. I agree with you. 1000%. And essentially, you know, Howard, remember two years ago when the Knicks played the Atlanta Hawks and they were really were struggling. Julius Randle, you know, had an unbelievable season with his all-star. He just played well, but just couldn't get his offense going. It takes a special type of player to be able to excel on that center stage, especially uh, in the playoffs. And, you know, Jalen Brunson has shown that, but I, I think clearly if they don't have him, uh, it, it becomes clearly a, a, a overwhelming advantage towards, you know, Miami. And then I think also, too, it's going to require Tom Thibodeau to do some different things to make some subtle adjustments to kind of match what Eric Spolstra has done. Because when we get to these players, the further the playoffs, the further these series go, it all boils down to a lot of times talent, but also what type of in-game adjustments coaches make and teams make to really, again, counteract what other teams are doing. Look, if they don't have, uh, they don't have Brunson, I mean, let's say that, that means their head's cut off because yeah. this is the guy that leads this team. Not only, I mean, look, he was 0 for 7 from 3 in game one. Okay, that's an aberration. You don't expect that to happen again. But the unknown factor is even if they play, he and Randall, at what percentage capability do, will they come in with? And the same could be said, to Jimmy Butler, we don't know if there's going to be a hangover effect from when he rolled his ankle the other night, because, you know, that that injury that lingers for a while. It does. And I think, you know, that's a great point. But I think keep in mind, you know, some of the other guys that were X, X factors, you know, Gabe Vincent played very, very well, shot the ball very well. And Kyle Lowry uh, had one of those moments. So the question is, you know, on the flip side of that is, can they get that same type of production? out of Gabe Vincent and Kyle Lowry. And if not, who is going to step up for the Miami Heat? Um, the mindset will be really interesting to see if this team, you know, settles and understanding, look, we got in, we got the split, we have home court advantage, you know, can we take some time off to maybe monitor, uh, you know, um, monitor Jimmy Butler's ankle and see how that goes. And then, like you said before, this is desperate times now. Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson have to play. I mean, if they can walk, they got to be able to play because even if they're out there at somewhat of 50% or 60%, it's still something that you have to pay a close attention to. And hopefully, you know, maybe Tibbs can find some way to make up that point production and other guys. So be it if it's you know, R.J. Barrett is going to have to have a monster game 
and they're going to have to find scoring from other places. But, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. But now it comes down to a chess, a game of chess between Eric Spostra as well as uh, Tom Thibodeau, especially with injuries at the forefront of this series thus far. You know, it, it, even if uh, even if the Knicks, well, the Knicks have lost home court advantage temporarily, uh, but, you know, they could easily win two games in Miami. It's not impossible to suggest that. But uh, look, before these playoffs started, everybody said, well, it's going to be Milwaukee and Boston coming out of the East, maybe Philadelphia. Uh, it's going to be uh, probably most people thought Phoenix was going to come out of the West. Well, now they're down 0-2 to Denver. And look, there is not an answer to Jokic. I mean, who can guard that guy? Well, I mean, let's go back and look at the fact is what Phoenix resembled when they were in the finals against, you know, Milwaukee. It was really having a difficult time having someone to match up against Giannis. Now, the only difference is, is that you have a bigger and more skilled guy in Jokic that you know, the Suns don't have an answer for it. It's not DeAndre Ayton. It's not Bismack Biombo. Um, once again, it comes down to coaching. What showed up sort of little in-game adjustments Monty Williams will make going uh, going into game three back in Phoenix? Because you're right, it's been a one-man wrecking crew, and it's been dominant in an area where Phoenix is really, really weak. And then I also think, too, is that, let's be honest, you know, Phoenix's bench has been really underperforming. And let's also keep an eye out the fact that unfortunately it's it's one of those situations that's kind of been a rites of passage each and every single playoffs. You know, is that something coming from your end or my end? <laughs> All right. Uh, look, Emmanuel quickly is, is very quick, uh, not to play on his name, but he's very quick. Uh, he can get to the basket, uh, but you know, let's face it, you're losing. When when I see Brunson with the ball, I mean, you can do whatever you got to do to keep him away from his left hand. He's going to find some way to beat you going to his right hand. He just has that capability. And, you know, it's amazing to me, Gerald. We haven't heard this much about Jalen Brunson until now, until he joined the New York Knicks. Is, is he hiding in Dallas? I, I, it boggles my mind. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Uh, yeah, you know, Emmanuel quickly has really played well. But, you know, I, th I think the biggest thing is, like, when we look at the Knicks, it's kind of what we got to look at maybe Sacramento, maybe even Cleveland, maybe to a certain extent Minnesota. A lot of these teams that are having teams and players in these sort of pivotal moments and now being in a situation and the Knicks kind of – you know, yes, it's it's been quite some time since they got to the second round where I kind of look at them similar to with Sacramento. So experience is a big, big factor in this thing. And, um, you know, one, one of the things I wanted to just close up on Phoenix was just that how significant this groin injury with Chris Paul will sort of factor in. But, you know, guard play and, and quickly, they, they got to figure out a way to get it done. And I think that's where you know, Tom Thibodeau is really going to have to come in and, and, and coach. And not to say that he hasn't, but it's those subtle little adjustments that I continue to keep going back to, in which now, you know, every team knows each other. There's no sort of, uh, you know, hidden little thing that you call a player. Right. You know, it's what adjustments will each team make from game to game? 
Look, the addition, uh, adding Josh Hart has been a good plus for the Knicks. Um, it's just one thing I wish he would stop. I'd stop John at the officials. Uh, you know, yeah, Randall does it. He does it. Uh, Draymond Green does it. Look, I don't like big mouth basketball players. I'm telling you that straight up uh, because eventually they're going to go over the top and get themselves a technical foul. And maybe they get that second one and they're gone. So they hurt their team. But I'll give Josh hard credit. He had a comfort zone. He, his old pal Jalen Brunson's on the team. So the transition was not that difficult for him. And he's made a difference. He definitely has. And I looked at going into this series. I thought he would be the X factor against Jimmy Butler because we witnessed that in that first half where there were a lot of times that, again, whatever Jimmy Butler was doing offensively and Hart and a lot of the focus on the Knicks defense was on him. But there were a lot of times that Hart would take the ball, get the rebound, initiate the start, the fast break and even attack in the basket. And you look at the way the Knicks played sort of maybe that first going into the second quarter. I really thought that this was going to really be it was sort of a microcosm of what the series could be. I thought that the Knicks defensively match up very well. And then with Jalen Brunson, as well as the others, I thought that they have a little bit more offense that they could throw at the Miami Heat. Now, Kyle Larry and Gabe Vincent changed the outcome of that. But uh, I still think that Josh Hart is an excellent matchup. And he's a guy that's going to play bigger than what he is. And I think that I feel very comfortable with him guarding Jimmy Butler. Mm -hmm. And probably doing a little bit, a couple of different things compared to what Jimmy Butler faced against the Milwaukee Bucks and Drew Holiday. Uh, let's go to the West. Uh, everybody's looking forward to the Golden State Warriors against the Lakers. It's a shame that it has to be in this round. I would love to see this matchup in the Western final. Speaking of the West, please tell me how the NBA arrived at Memphis playing in the Western Conference. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know, Howard. I think that inevitably, Look, if they add another team and maybe it's a team that might goes into Dallas, I mean, excuse me, Las Vegas or Seattle, Memphis might be one of those teams that has shifted to the Eastern mm -hmm. Conference and put in a conference with Atlanta or so. So, I, you know, it, it, it doesn't make any sense. But um, when we look at sports, especially even on the college level, I looked up big uh, BYU's in the Big 12. So, I mean, there's certain yeah. things that you look at and you just kind of figure it out where it just doesn't register. But, um, you know, hopefully that might be a move that is made later on because um, the Western Conference, it, it, it's good that you can look up and say, well, wait a minute. Think about it this way. The Golden State Warriors won 11 road games this year. They come up with two huge wins uh, on the road against the Sacramento Kings. And granted, the Sacramento Kings, young team, whatever, but you saw this experience that has taken place with them. And you look at the Lakers. You know, LeBron James has been a, a, a critic, a severe critic of the play-in tournament. Without that play-in tournament, LeBron and those guys would not be in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So um, this is going to be wide open. And I think it's kind of like a throwback. It's a little nostalgia because, you know, in all likelihood, Denver is going to probably be there in that Western Conference final, you know, unless uh, Phoenix figures something out. But uh, I think it's great for the league that you're going to have a so sort of throwback of, the Warriors versus the Lakers, LeBron, Curry versus those guys. I'm going to take it uh, even a step further. Uh, look, we watched Seth, uh, Steph Curry put on a show the other night. I mean, he dropped 50. Uh, if he's not, and I said this to his father years ago, uh, when I'm, I was at courtside when Del Curry was still playing 
And I said, uh, I asked Dell, I said, are you the best three-point shooter in the league? He goes, no. I said, who then? Reggie Miller? Uh, you know, who? Who? And he goes, no, the guy's sitting over there. And he was looking to the Nets bench. He said, that guy's sitting over there. And he was pointing at Drazen Petrovic, which, uh, and I know I knew Draz very well, the sadness about how he passed away. But I was around him when he was with the Nets. I never saw a guy work harder than that man. I never saw a guy spend more time practicing, working out. He was incredible. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Steph Curry right now. If he's not the greatest shooter ever, you got to tell me who is. Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to be a prisoner of a moment. I think that was really critical on my show. Uh, Rick and I were talking about how Reggie Miller, another, you know, gifted, prolific shooter, said that Steph Curry should now go into that top 10 all-time in all -time NBA players and replace the, the late, great Will Chamberlain. I, I just uh, nearly lost it. But you know what? You got to give Steph Curry a lot of credit. And I think that clearly, you know, it's a different era of basketball because when you talk about think about some of the shooters of yesteryear from Bird, uh, I saw Ray Allen this past weekend. Uh, in Pennsylvania and stuff, uh, you know, there's so many great shooters, but I think Steph in his own right is for this generation, you know, extended the shooting, you know, where way beyond the three-point line, uh, you know, he's made it sort of a, a daily occurrence and stuff, and there's been a lot of players that have followed suit. So, you know, he's an excellent shooter, hands down, he's one of the greatest and stuff, but I think it's kind of unfair to say, you know, of all time, because, you didn't have guys shooting uh, like that, especially when you had bigs that were very dominant. You know, you, you you were sort of geared towards to get the ball into the post and work outside in. And then, you know, guys weren't shooting unless the shot clock was going down, keeping it up uh, way behind the three-point line. So uh, he is definitely uh, a guy that's a trendsetter and uh, revolutionized the three-point shot even furthermore. Uh, Gerald, when you look at this matchup, um... Look, the Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis. If they play at their absolute best, it's going to be hard for the Warriors to beat them. Having said that, I think the Warriors are a deeper team. Uh, I think the Lakers have all of a sudden over the last month or so, uh, Reeves has developed into a key contributor. Uh, Hiroshimoa has developed into a key contributor. Uh, Anthony Davis has proven that when he's playing at his absolute best, he's an impossible guard. Who gets that for the Lakers? Who gets, where does Draymond, does Draymond Green guard LeBron James or does he guard Anthony Davis? That's going to be the, the sort of uh, million dollar question is that the fact is that who would Draymond match up against? But I think also too is, you know, uh, Dennis Schroeder has played well. D'Angelo Russell has played well. Yes. A lot of production that they got in that first round series from a lot of those others, I like to call them. And now the biggest question is, you know, can Jordan Poole find sort of reclaim his game because he struggled somewhat, uh, especially in I think it was game six against the Sacramento Kings. But, you know, the others coming off of that bench for the Warriors is going to be huge because we know what you're going to get from Steph, like you mentioned about Anthony Davis, LeBron James um, and, and Clay Thompson's got to be those guys. So it, it, it really is a throwback game. But you're right. It'd be interesting to see who will Draymond match up against. And uh, obviously, I would look to perhaps maybe see Draymond match up against a guy like LeBron and, and let Kevon Looney go against Anthony Davis, because especially how Looney looked in game seven, 
uh, how dominant he was. He's been very, very efficient. And um, I think that's going to be the Achilles heel. Which team's bench will be able to sort of prosper will be the huge thing. Which team's others? You know, you mentioned about Austin Reeves and all those guys. Who are the X factors for those guys in that series is the others. And that will be the sort of deciding factor, I believe, in that series. If you look at the two coaches, Steve Kerr, is, let's face it, he's winning championships. He's been here before. Darvin Ham is not. How much of a factor, if any, is that? Well, you know, Howard, we were talking about it in terms of coaching, you know, from the Boston uh, and, and, and Boston and Philly series, Nixon and Miami series. It's going to come down to coaching and it's going to be those moments where in the game, subtle little adjustments and there's going to be pivotal moments where coaching will come into question because, you know, we, we know the stars will start shine, but it's just a question of what type of uh, moves in game adjustments and which coach pushes the right buttons. But, you know, you got to lean heavily towards Steve Kerr because let's be honest, they've been there. They've done that. And we look up now. This is a team I thought was one loss away from inevitably the dynasty being over. And I think that clearly that's still the case for them. You know, in their back of their minds, look, they got to understand that, look, if they don't win this series, not only would the season be over, but I think they would really start making moves to start trading a guy like Draymond Green mm -hmm. to be the first domino to fall. Because, again, you're going to have to sign, re-sign a young man, Jonathan Kaminga. In which direction they go? Will Bob Myers be there? Uh, a lot of things will happen. So. The team that has that type of pressure and been there and done that, knowing that their back's up against the wall, I, I really lean heavily towards uh, the, the Golden State Warriors, but also with Steve Kerr and knowing which buttons to push and hopefully see how things work out. He's Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. You know who did the Lakers a favor as the Lakers are getting ready to play this series with Golden State? Dylan Brooks. He got, I mean, the, the, I mean, here's a guy that has done nothing, has accomplished nothing, and he's running his mouth at LeBron James. Now, I don't know if LeBron took that personally at that time, but I think he was motivated. And, and uh, thank you, Dylan Brooks. You did a great service to the L.A. Lakers. Yeah, he did. I mean, look, he woke LeBron up. But let's be honest, um, at this stage of his career, you know, Darvin Ham, you know, how much can you really, really rely on LeBron? Look, look, LeBron at this stage of his career is close to being a closer, right? You know, it's kind of that guy, if you use a baseball analogy, he's probably like Mariano Rivera. You're going to sort of have him come in to seal the deal and close the game. And now it's a question of Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, the others really trying to pick up the load and really sort of, again, total line until you get to LeBron. Um Yes, he woke him up. And I think clearly <clears throat> in that situation, it was inevitable. But I think going down the stretch now, you know, it's a different situation. You know, it's much more talent, a much more poised, experienced team in the Golden State Warriors. And, you know, LeBron won't need any extra sort of incentive to get up for this series. But I think, you know, at some point you can't solely rely so heavily on LeBron to get the job done for the Lakers. It's definitely going to have to be a guy like Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, I was going to mention Reeves because he's been a tremendous addition to this Laker roster, and particularly in the last month or so. He's really taken more of an assertive role. Uh, LeBron has trusted him to initiate the offense, and it's good because here's LeBron that doesn't have to bring it up every single time. So that eventually can 
can weigh LeBron down where maybe he doesn't have the finishing kick at the end of a game. But Reeves has made a difference. Look, D'Angelo Russell has the capability uh, to score with the best of them. Problem that I have with him is that he's not consistent. I'm at a school, Howard, so that's the noise. No, I know. I, I know. Look, I'm just saying that D'Angelo Russell is not consistent, but when he's on, he's a tremendous asset to the Lakers. He, he's been a tremendous yeah. asset. And I'm going to let you go, Gerald, because, you know, you're under a little bit of a pressure over there. But thanks very much for your time. Always appreciate it. And you stay safe. Thanks, Howard. Appreciate it. Sorry about that. Not a problem. Uh, he's, he's Gerald Brown of the Bottom Line Sports Show. We'll uh, ask him to, uh, to, to go and, and do what he's got to do wherever he is. But uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, let me just make a note to, uh, to get a hold of Tim Roy. Hopefully we get Tim Roy to join us. Uh, he's the uh, voice of the Golden State Warriors as they get ready. There he is. Tim Roy is going to join us momentarily. And we'll connect with Tim and, and see uh, how he's ready. Here hey. he is. Hey, Tim, how are you? Good, sir. How are you? How are you? Uh, you don't have to call me, sir. I was a sergeant in the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> are you ready for the big series? Yeah, I am. Yeah, well, look, I asked... Uh, I'm going to ask you the same question. Are you more surprised with the Knicks where they are now against the Heat? Are you more surprised with the Heat where they are beating the Bucks? Are you more surprised with the Lakers getting to this stage? Uh, I'm not surprised with Golden State because experience shows. Experience shows, and I think we have a couple of teams that were um... – maybe underachieving a little bit in the regular season. And so that's why you have these, these high seeds. The Lakers totally turned around their uh, team with the trades they made in February. Uh, probably more surprised with Milwaukee. I think you know, Giannis was banged up, that's for sure. But I still think they could have overcome it. But the, the team that benefited, I think, the most from the play-in is Boston. Hmm. Because if you just had straight seeding, Boston would have played uh, Milwaukee. Uh, no, Boston would have played Miami in the first round. But because of the way the play-in broke, they got Atlanta in the first round instead of Miami. And nothing against the, the Hawks, but I think Miami's just a tough team to play in the playoffs. That that culture they have is real. The toughness they have is real. And Jimmy Butler, as we know, uh, can win you one or two games in a series by just being Jim, Jimmy Butler in playoff mode. So uh, probably the the Bucks losing. I really like their team, but they just couldn't uh, sustain it. And I think having Giannis not 100% kind of threw them off a little bit. Yeah, he's Tim Roy, the longtime radio voice of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, I look at, uh, at the Knicks uh, Heat series, and tonight it's about who's the healthiest. Because there's a report now that Jalen Brunson is questionable. Uh, Julius Randle is questionable. And we don't know 
Jimmy Butler's status. I mean, you roll your ankle. It's it's not something that you just get over overnight. So I'm wondering what kind of shape he's in. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see what they do. Unfortunately for me, I got to tape the game. I mean, he's listed officially as questionable for the game tonight, which is better than doubtful. So maybe we'll see him out there. And But Brunson and Julius Randle are also questionable for tonight's game. Everybody gets banged up at this time of year. You know, it's just the way it is with uh, the, the playoffs and with – you know, everything that's going on at this point, uh, you just got to kind of play through it. I think for the Knicks, getting Randall back would be huge for them. Right. He's Tim Roy. Tim, let me ask you about the Warriors. What kind of shape are they in? What's the MASH report? Well, they're pretty healthy, but I also think they're pretty beat up a little bit from that series in game seven. So tonight's going to be interesting to see what they can put together. Um, I think emotionally and physically, that was a tough game seven. So I think the Lakers having that extra day of rest to two days of rest, really, but they probably have an edge on Golden State that way tonight. But you never know. Adrenaline's a funny thing. And uh, when you win championships, you learn how to grind things out in the playoffs. So I wouldn't be surprised if either way, if they win or lose and and if they lose and don't show a lot of energy, I won't be surprised. But this team has some sort of will. The core has a will. And uh, it's it's been remarkable to watch over the last decade. Tim, in all the years you've been covering the Warriors and all the years you've watched Steph Curry, have you ever seen a more spectacular performance by this man like he showed the other night when he dropped half a hundred? You know, it's it's remarkable that it's the most points ever scored in the game seven. And you could tell early on he had his game face on. He was ready. He was not going to let Sacramento dictate anything to him. He was going to dictate terms. And uh, I mentioned early on that it looks like number 30 came to play. And so uh, I'm not totally surprised. But but to me, what stood out, Howard, was the fact that he scored over 20 points from three and over 20 points in the paint in the same game. And watching him all these years, he's stronger now than he was, say, seven years ago. And he's 35, right? So he's in tremendous shape. And by adding that strength, he's able to get to the basket, take those bumps, those midair bumps, and and not, you know, and fall down, but get back up and, and no worse for the wear. And so it's it's really crazy how he's shaped his body to be even better physically than maybe he was a few years ago. It's from, it's incredible. Hey, Tim, let me talk about Clay Thompson. Uh, we haven't heard a lot from Clay. He's been kind of quiet, uh, maybe because, <laughs> maybe because uh, Steph is playing so well. But as I look at Golden State against the Lakers, I see the Warriors as a deeper team. Would you agree? Yeah, they are deeper. I, I don't think their depth played very well against uh, Sacramento. But, I, you know, the Lakers have some good players coming off the bench. I heard you talking about Hashimura before. Uh, and whether he starts or comes off the bench, he's a pretty good player for them. But the uh, I, I think the Warrior bench is due. Jordan Poole is due for a good series, a good couple of really good games. Gary Payton is one of the most unique players in the league. 
because he's a six three power forward and he just plays on the baseline and he's he's an incredible on ball defender. He's uh, a guy that can set players up for a steal. He and and he does it in a really sneaky way and the player doesn't even know he's being set up. So yeah, I think they have some bench players that can really really help them in this series. Um, we might even see more Jamichael Green this series because of the fact that Lakers are a big team. So I, I'm hoping the Warrior depth will be good. And going back to Clay Thompson, I think this. I think Clay Thompson will have a good series. This is a big series for him. First time he's ever played the Lakers. It's a team he grew up rooting for. His dad's going to be at every game announcing on Lakers radio. Radio and. Uh, and again, he's got to have family and friends, whether it be in San Francisco or L.A. So I, I, it's a big series for Clay Thompson. Let me ask you this. Uh, Draymond Green's a good defensive player. Uh, yep. Do you see him defending against either LeBron James or Anthony Davis? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Draymond is still at the point of his career where he can guard guys. Now, the the quick uh, guys can give him some problems, but, but you know, and, the last series, he guarded both Sabonis and Fox. So Draymond is that unique player that can guard smalls and bigs. So wherever they put Draymond, he's going to be uh, a guy that's it's 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 going to get one of the best players. The issue with Draymond sometimes is that sometimes I think he overhelps because he sees plays and reads plays so well. But I think in this series, I think if he's got Anthony Davis, he knows he has to lock in on that guy and not be the superb help defender that he usually is. Going back to when Steve Kerr was still a player, he was with San Antonio, and I was doing the Nets games, and we're down in San Antonio, and I got into a conversation with Kerr on, uh, on before the game on the court. And uh, uh, Avery Johnson and I, and I had a little bit of a relationship, so he introduced me to Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr says, Howard, David, he says, I listen to you doing football. He's a big football <laughs> fan, as you well know. Yep. So from that point on, anytime I saw him, we always started talking about football. The last time I saw him on the court, and it was going back, uh, and, and Draymond was starting to become more relevant. And I said, does he drive you crazy <laughs> with, with some of his antics with the referees and so on? He goes, well, yeah, but, you know, I know he wants to win. I know where his motivation is. As you're calling a game. Has there ever been a time when you said, all right, Draymond, stop? <laughs> yeah, there are moments where you, you know, you see him go over the line and that's when you got to go, okay, okay. He did that in the Sacramento series when he started taunting the crowd a little bit afterwards. But, yeah, you know, I got to tell you, he's, he's the, the smartest basketball player I think I've ever been around. He's, he is incredible. He's one step ahead of everybody else on the floor. He just knows. And that's, you know, he and LeBron share that in common. They're both basketball savants. And so uh, with with each Draymond explosion comes about five or six different plays where you go, wow, how did he do that? And and how did he make that play, you know, not knowing exactly what the other team was doing, but he had a feel for where they were going to go. So uh, to me, he's not only a, a, a smart player. He's also a competitor elite. He literally wills himself to be better than what he should be. 
you know, he's really kind of an undersized guy. You know, back in the day, we would have called him a tweener. Right. He probably wouldn't have gotten a lot of court time because guys would look at him and say, well, he's not really a four. He's not really a three. He's too small to be a five. But you put him on a basketball floor. And I think I told you this story before. When they brought him in for workouts, they brought him in for a couple other guys. And they kept mixing the team up with assistant coaches and players to play three on three. And Draymond's team kept winning no matter who they put him with. The, his team kept winning. Hmm. And so they said, hmm, we, we, we might have something here. So uh, I, I think that's what he is. He's a competitor. He's a winner. And yes, he, he goes over the line once in a while. But the long-term benefits of Draymond outweigh those moments where you wish he wouldn't go so far. He's the voice of the Golden State Warriors, Tim Roy. How long have you been calling the Warriors games? Uh, this is my 28th season with the Warriors, and I was on the Kings broadcast team six years before that, so 34 in the league. No, nah, that's amazing. It's a, uh, it's, a, it's a great situation to be in, certainly with a team like the Warriors, uh, because they've had so much success. When I look at this series as an outsider, and I said, look, if LeBron James doesn't play big and Anthony Davis doesn't play big, you favor the Warriors. But by the same token, I see Steph Curry, to me, he doesn't have very many highs and lows, does he? No, no, he he doesn't get enough credit for being as consistent as he is. And the other part about Steph is that uh, he can really lock in, you know, the game the other day. Think about this. Think about how many how many minutes he had the ball in his hand. He had one turnover, one turnover in that game. And. He's really, if you look at his numbers, everybody looks at the shooting, but look at his rebounding numbers. His rebounding numbers for a guard of his size are really good. And so he doesn't get a lot of credit for that. He's much more of a well-rounded player than people give him credit for because he's so spectacular with his shot making that people tend to overlook the other things. And the other thing, going back to what I said before about his strength, that strength has made him a better defender. What Teams was, will still hunt him out. Mm -hmm. The Lakers will hunt him out, try to get LeBron on Steph. But he's a much better defender than he was six or seven years ago. The thing that impresses me about Curry, given his size, how he gets to the basket so effortlessly, uh, challenging the big guys in the painted area, he, he's fearless. And that's the one thing that impresses me. about. Look, his three-point shot is, is uh, historical. We know how great he is. But when he goes to the basket, the way he does, I sit there and go, wow. Yeah, it's 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 remarkable. And all those shots, all those underhand flips and floaters, those are shots that he's worked on for years. He has mastered an early release. By that, I mean he releases the ball on the way up so that the shot blocker can't get to it. And so by doing that, he's, he's given himself that little extra edge on his drives to the bucket. He doesn't have to go all the way to the rim to score. And that makes him really lethal that way. And he's really good at it. However, in this series, he has to be, then the Warriors have to be mindful of a team as to where Anthony Davis is, because Davis is a really good defender, good shot blocker. He does protect the rim and the Lakers will funnel uh, the Warriors to him. So the, the other part about this series, that's intriguing to me, Howard, is say the Lakers put their they're going to put their best on ball defender on Curry. 
you know, maybe they put LeBron on him, but if they do, I think Curry has enough skill to get around him. Mm -hmm. But if, and if they put say Reeves on him or someone like that, that means that Clay Thompson or Andrew Wiggins is going to be guarded by either Russell or one of their other guards. And I think that's the matchups that the Warriors might be able to exploit in this series. So look, you've been around this league, as you mentioned, 28 years with the Warriors and so on. You've seen uh, the ebb and flow of the league. Uh, my Im impression of the league right now, and I don't do impressions, but my my <laughs> feeling about the league right now is this a, an over-reliance on the three-point shot. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I, I you know the the one play that drives me nuts is when a guy penetrates. He has a layup possibility, a yeah. layup possibility. <laughs> Instead, kicks it out to the corner. Yeah. Take the points. They're there for you. Take the points. That that one drives me nuts. But yeah, everybody's shooting threes and it's spread out. It is a fun game for the fans, though, right now. You know, a lot of scoring and a lot of shooting. And and the other part about, you know, and Steph has a big way in this. He kind of turned everybody's feelings about the three-point shot from being something we like to something we love is that the skill level of players, I think, might be at its highest across the board where you have bigs that can handle now and pass and shoot. And, and you know, uh, Brooke Lopez came into the league as a back-to-the-basket classic post guy. Now he's a really good shooter. He can shoot a three. That's that's something you have to honor with him. So it, watching guys develop and, and work on their games I, is, is fun for me. I think it's the league as a skill level is, is high, but I would like to see teams, if they get the opportunity to score at the basket or get a mid-range jumper, then go ahead and take that, you know, take the points. You know, there's a reason why DeMar DeRozan is still going strong in the league is because he's really good at shooting the mid-range shot. And those are points that you get from him. And so uh, I, I think there's room in the game for guys like DeMar DeRozan. Let me ask you this. Uh, I guess it's frustrating uh, when you see a team as good as the Warriors and yet they struggle on the road. Why do you think that is? I have no earthly idea. I've tried to look at the numbers. You know, the numbers don't lie. They didn't defend on the road, but their numbers at home were really good defensively. So how do you figure that? You know, what's, what's is it just that they didn't lock in on the road? I just think this team has had trouble getting totally connected this year. And I think it showed on the road. But in this last series, when they were faced with must wins on the road, they locked in and played two really good road games. So I think at this point, I, I'm curious to see how they play in L.A., which they've never played well in L.A. Even back when the Lakers weren't very good and the Warriors were winning titles, they would lose a game a year to the Lakers in L.A. And for no reason, you couldn't figure it out. But I'm curious to see how they play on the road in this series. I, I think they've left that road chapter behind them now and uh you know steph curry gave a great speech before getting on the bus to go to sacramento for game seven apparently and got everybody locked in for game seven so hopefully that continues in this series in all the time that you've been uh the voice of the warriors uh, there's some cities i'm sure that you look forward to going to i know i did uh when i was calling games 
uh, you know, you go to Atlanta, you go to Freedom's, you go buy shoes, you go, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you go uh, there. There's certain places. I used to, I love San Francisco, first of all. It's one of my favorite cities in the country. Um, and, and going to Pebble Beach has always been one of my great dreams realized having played there. But I love the city of San Francisco. The change from Oakland to San Francisco, any difference? Yeah, there's a little bit of a difference. I mean, the, the first of all, um, the ownership with Joe Lacob and Peter Goober accomplished something that is almost impossible to do in the state of California, and that's build a brand new building. It's hard to do that. And they did it without a dime from the public. So they should get a lot of credit for that. And it's a beautiful building. I love Oracle. Oracle will always have a soft spot in my heart. It's where the Warriors won championships and uh, and certainly uh, had a great crowd with a low ceiling. It was just, you know, the perfect atmosphere for NBA basketball. But it just, you know, it, it was getting too old. It was too hard for people to get through the concourses. They were very narrow, very old. It wasn't designed for the number of people that would fit in there. So. It's, it's a little bit of a different crowd. You know, we didn't have everybody come across the bay to uh, to continue. But and and the, the suites are are fantastic at, at Chase Center. So it's a little bit of a different vibe, a little bit different atmosphere, but it's a beautiful building and it still gets really loud. As an announcer, I've been so lucky to work for the two NBA teams that I've worked for, Sacramento and Golden State. Because both of their fan bases are loud. Both of their fan bases bring energy. And I never have to worry about that. Even when the Warriors were awful. And they, you know, we went through five years in a row in the early 2000s where the team did not win more than 21 games. Mm. Uh, but even back then, you know, other announcers would come to me and say, I love coming here because the crowd's always into it. And it's always loud. You guys always have a good crowd here. So uh, I've been lucky that way. When I was with the Nets uh, on the road, I had to work alone. And so early on uh, my time there, I mean, their best player was Buck Williams. They really didn't have much. And so my first year, they wound up winning, I want to say, 19 games my first year. Now, you'll understand this as an announcer. When you work alone on the road, it's tough, particularly when your team's bad. They go into Utah during the Malone-Stockton era. And at halftime, they're getting blown out. They're down 30. And I'm trying to figure out, how do I do the second half? You can't just call the game. <laughs> no, gotta you got to, yeah. You know, got to figure out something. So their owner then uh, was a guy, uh, his last name was Miller. He was a car yep. dealer in, in Utah. He was sitting courtside. And he gave me an idea. He had everything in front of him from popcorn to a drink, to a hot dog, and you name it. It's all sitting there in front of him. I decided to do play-by-play of -play, uh, Miller's eating. And so, <laughs> and so the Utah people sitting around, they're getting a kick out of this. And so the game is over. Well, these people, the, the fans of the Jazz, and by the way, they won by 35. The yeah. fans of the Jazz are coming over to me saying, we really enjoyed that. That was very entertaining. Now I go home. The, the road trip is over. And I walked to the Nets offices like three days later and the president of the team calls me into his office and I go, uh Oh, I'm in trouble. So I said, yeah, Bob, what can I do for you? He goes, I listened to the uh, jazz game the other night. I never laughed so much listening to you play by play of the Utah owner eating. 
<laughs> I said, Bob, what do you want me to do? The game was terrible. They were getting killed. He goes, no, I didn't have any problem with it. I walked out of the office and I'm going, thank yeah. you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the, um, the, the funny thing about that is, that, you know, for years I worked alone. I, you know, I didn't get an analyst till maybe 10 years ago, but, uh, and, and there, there is something, I will say this about being an NBA play-by-play announcer. When you're alone, you can get into a real nice flow, nice yeah. rhythm. You know, yeah. you don't have to wait and see if the, your, your commentators got something to say. And so I, I enjoyed that part of it. And I've always used a lot of sound bites. You know, I had a similar game when the Warriors were bad and they went up to Seattle to play Kemp and Peyton and it was 70 to 40 at halftime. Mm. So I pulled out every, every note I had, every cool soundbite I had, I had uh, a note on Vinnie Baker singing the national anthem. I had, I had all this stuff, right? So I do all this, weave all this stuff in, in the second half and the Warriors end up losing by 30. And uh, about two weeks later, I got a letter from a lady who was in the broadcasting department of the LA Clippers. And I said, what's this about? So I opened the letter and she says, my husband and I were driving around and we could hear your broadcast. And she said, said, we kept your broadcast on in the second half because we wanted to see what you were going to do next, you know? <laughs> and, and, she, and she left a little personal note at the bottom saying, you know, because the Clippers were right there with the Warriors for years of being awful. And they, would, and they were right alongside us. And she said, well, we down here know full well that, you know, about the kind of night you were having, you know, so that I've kept that letter forever because I always thought that was a really uh, a cool letter and, and it validated all the stuff that I did in the second half. Yeah. And that's a good story. Uh, before I let you go on this series, how important is it for Golden State to have to hold on to that home court advantage? I think it's good. I think it's really important because they have a good home court advantage. They played really well at home. Their defensive numbers, as I mentioned before, were really good at home. They got a great crowd. So I think if, if they can somehow find a way to win tonight, despite the fact that I know they're going to be emotionally you know, stretched after that game seven, they can find a way to win tonight and, and get maybe get down to L.A. up 2-0. I think that's a big advantage. You know, the old saying is, the series doesn't start until a road team wins. And so um, if they can get these first two, I think that puts them in the driver's seat in this series. What the Warriors did against Sacramento falling behind 0-2 and winning was only the second time in their history, Howard, that they have been falling behind the series 0-2 and won. And the only other time they did it was late 80s against Utah in one of those old best of five series where they won three straight against the Jazz to close it out. So if they can get up 2-0, I, I, like, I like their chances a lot in this series. Now, the Sacramento series, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, first four games were won by the road team. Is that right? First four games were won by the home teams. Oh, the home the team, The last yeah. three right. were won by the road teams. Yeah. So – it kind of flipped there as the series went went deep. And and, and let me tell you, the final thing on that series, so much fun uh, because I have friends who work with Sacramento, people I worked with who are still there. And, you know, get this now. I'm gonna, How lucky am I? I'm going to do these first two games in San Francisco. I'll have nine straight playoff games, and I haven't gotten on an airplane yet. That's, <laughs> that's great. That might be an all-time record. I don't know. I have to look that up. No, that's 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 great. Appreciate your insight, Tim. Thanks. Enjoy the series. Most importantly, stay safe. Thanks, Howard. He is Tim Roy, voice, longtime voice 
of the Golden State Warriors. He's been there for 28 years and has a great product to uh, to cover because the Warriors have been so successful. And I'm a big fan of Steve Kerr on a number of reasons. Not only is he a good coach, but he's not afraid to say what's on his mind. Greg Popovich, same thing. Sometimes it gets into the political arena. I don't care. That's I, I'm, I, I enjoy that. Not afraid to say what's on your mind. So be it. I think this is going to be a very intriguing series. I really do. Uh, I could see the series going seven. Uh, and if it does go seven, you got to like the Warriors. Uh, could it go shorter? Of course. But if Curry plays like he plays, if LeBron plays like he plays, if Anthony Davis plays like he plays, I think it's going to be a very, very red knuckle or white knuckle series. I really do. I think it's going to be terrific. I like the Warriors in this series because of the home court. I'd wish this was the Western final, though, but it's not. Congratulations to the Warriors. Congratulations to the Lakers. I mean, nobody thought they were going to be here. And oh, by the way, congratulations to the old man, LeBron James. Is he the GOAT? I don't care. He's the best of his time. Michael Jordan was the best of his time. End of discussion, okay? Have a good time watching the NBA playoffs as they continue. It's been a lot of fun, and it's only going to get better. I'm Howard David. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live, and you stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.